have the MP project. So I'm genuinely just like, I can't believe I'm here. Can you believe that we're actually friends? <laughs> Look at us. Okay, you guys have <laughs> no idea how hard I've had to work for this <laughs> specific interview. It has been, I think, six months in the making. And finally, Homegirl has forcibly, <laughs> is that the word? <laughs> Agreed to do this, and I'm so grateful. Um, I have my sister, who is... <laughs> the empathy day one like the empathy day one um andile was there from the very beginning and has been such an avid supporter so thank you very much for that and been such a great believer of the project and because i live with her and i know personally um i'm privy to all her black at work woes so for me it really just made sense to have her on the pod for this conversation um but before i continue <laughs> She's already rolling her eyes. <laughs> Before I continue any further, um, I'm gonna introduce my sister, Andy Lepere. Hi, Winnie. <laughs> um, yeah, and the reason why I, I've been refusing is I always say this, I hate the sound of my voice, uh, but it is what it is now. Um, I'm here now, so <laughs> it is what it is. Um, Andy Lepere, uh, I guess Winnie's sister. Um, I work as a as a consultant, um, doing different things, but um, a lot of it based in knowledge management and knowledge curation. Um, like I promised you guys um, a week ago in the intro pod, I'm going to be talking about being black at work. Um, unfortunately, I, I always only have access to women for these podcasts, and I really do want to change that in the future and have some male voices. But I've got two incredible black women um, to talk about the daily lived experiences of black people at work, the wins, the losses, the woes, the celebrations, um, all that good stuff. And I guess, let me kick off with the the quote that I quite like, um, that says the most marginalized person in society is the black woman. Um, I guess, firstly, does that ring true to you? Does it relate or resonate with you? And especially in relation to your work, journey um, and your daily experience um i guess there is some well, i'll kind of say some i think there is major truth to to that to that quote um just looking how women are treated on the daily if you watch um, interactions on the word um interactions in the restaurant interactions at a grocery store um just how women are not regarded as 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 important um, or as relevant, um, or as needed in spaces um, as men, and I think now in my in my work, my, in my work life, it's a bit different because I don't work in an office space or an office setting. Um, I work remotely, and so I can almost I don't I don't say ignore, but I can almost not see the marginalization of myself at work. But in my career journey, as as you put it, my or my work journey. Um, there have been pointed moments where it's like, okay, um, yeah, as as the one, the only black woman in the workplace, I am being marginalized. Um, so yeah, there, there are multiple examples, multiple stories, and I'm sure you know them already. Um, and they'll be unearthed as we continue the conversation. You spoke about the way women are 
or treated in all spaces and in how you've seen the way you've been treated in your workspace remotely and in the office. Is there, and I feel like it's a, it's a dumb question because it's kind of the same thing, but is there a distinct difference between how you've been treated versus other races, other cultures, other people groups? Um, is it in relation to something or is it just very like an isolated thing of like, oh no, it's just me? Um, definitely not isolated. Um, and I remember in, in, my, in my current job, people of color in the organization, when we use Slack, so when they send messages on Slack, when they request things um, and they're ignored, um, whereas a, a white um, colleague, they'll ask for something on Slack and they'll get a response or a reaction um, almost immediately. Um, and then we, we, we have, they hired like this DEI kind of expert to come and talk to these things, through these things, um, and ask each person, each person of color, and I hate the term person of color because I'm not a person of color, I'm black, but in this context, we were people of color um, as the collective. And some of them had, yeah, I was like, for me, it's different. I don't see it. But also I work in a different in a different department, I, I have a very different role. And so my role kind of requires people to kind of res- respond to me quickly. And also we have a very, our team is probably the biggest team in, in the organization. So I don't need responses from anyone else. I just need responses from my team. And so my team responds. Other people are unfortunately in like support kind of um, roles. And so people always put support roles or staffers at the back end um so with the father's lady uh, who's indian um it will ask for something people ignore her and then within a week it's like guys this is the deadline i need these answers or the um, the events guy he's latina uh um and so also it gets a bit of um delayed and then my other colleague in my team he's mexican um and he was mexican so but also he he was also treated kind of differently and so when we're unpacking these things in this in these four sessions of DEI kind of like training and facilitation or mediation, I point out that I think for me it's different one because of the way I speak, guys. Um, I literally can put on a white accent um, if I need to, and everyone else that I mentioned had a very very strong either Indian or Latina. Or Mexican, I guess Latina and Mexican are the same. And they fluent in English, but they had strong accents. And so when they spoke, it was one, slower, and two, with a very distinct accent. Um, whereas for me, my English is fast. And so I pointed out, I was like, actually, the people that are having difficulty in this place are the people who don't sound like the rest of the team. And it's very clear who those people are. And so I've been treated differently. I can tell when people are, like, when I speak, they actually lean in and listen to me versus the three people or the four people when they speak people literally just like roll their eyes or just like lean back or they pick up their phones um and don't listen to them or don't hear them um and so it does play out uh, differently in, in my remote setting but also i had the privilege of working not just as blacks in a black african context but in a very uh global context of really seeing how different cultures different religions even and different people are treated uh, within the workplace very interesting. Um, obviously, you know, I also had a conversation with Chi Chi, who's also a guest in the podcast, and we, we spoke at great lengths around proximity to, to whiteness. So I don't really want to delve into that, but I think you've brought a very interesting concept of proximity to power or authority um, 
which is interesting and it makes me sad because now I'm like, ah, is this why I was treated the way I was treated at that last job I had? <laughs> because obviously I was not senior, but also I'm like, I really, and I think I did speak to you about it the one time of like feeling highly invisible, um, especially if it was a room full of, of white men, um, kind of everything I said had to be corroborated by my manager or confirmed, backed mm. by her before it was taken seriously. And that thing of like sending a, a message and requesting something and people not seeing the urgency of it until it's escalated. Mm. Um, and only now it just clicked to me around, it could be the power authority thing. I knew it, but it was like subconscious. So I'm interested then to know, you've obviously spoken about the fact that you sound white and how that's been you able to use that to your advantage but in terms of your role and your position which you don't have to disclose disclose, that's the word um can you speak about if there is an intersection between you being a black woman and you having the kind of authority that you have and then maybe juxtapose that with the time we didn't have as much authority and if you've seen anything different um Definitely, because now I think, I don't want to, well, I always reveal my age, then I don't care. But I've been working for, for a while, and I've worked, I guess, ultimately in the same kind of sector, and the, that's the NGO space. Um, so working as first-time graduate and moving up into, what, 10 years or 12 years into, into working. Um, so there's been a, a progression, not only in skill, but also in the roles that I, that I, that I hold. And my current position is is not the highest, but not junior either. Um, so there is a level of responsibility and respect with, with, with that. Oh, it's tricky. Such a tricky thing because I'm thinking now, like, my my ED, um, at some point, I was like, this woman does not take me seriously. This woman does not take, doesn't see me as a, a professional. Um, and... The fact that I um, I'm black and I'm South African in in a in in a world um, filled with Europeans um, and an American and a few Australians, um, it, I was always basically like second guest and what you were saying now just second guest. But I had a very great manager who um, who would allow me to speak on my own and not um, kind of like reiterate on my behalf. Um, she'll say, "Oh, Andrea was just said that." Um, so, but she, would, she wouldn't repeat it. She like either you didn't hear her or um, I should say it again. Then she'd be like, oh no, no, I did hear her. So it's like, oh, okay, so why didn't you acknowledge it um, when you did clearly you heard her the first time? Um, and so my manager advocating for me actually was um, was big because then I, she wouldn't be in the room half the time that I'm speaking to the other executive directors of the other organizations that we work with. Um, and so I was able to be taken seriously because I, want, I was holding the space on behalf of my organization without my manager who's a white woman um but i i, I knew all the answers to their questions i had the insight that they were uh, asking for or needing um and i could um, give them ideas and strategize with them uh, and so by one being given the space and not having to have my manager with me all the time um it, it kind of allowed them to kind of take me seriously um, but then it was like eight months into the role and one is like, okay, I understand. I'm new in the space. I'm not a, I don't know, a campaigner or whatever. Uh, but with time, that kind of respect developed. And so my blackness is not that big now because I think I've, I've proven my capability. 
and so because of proven capability and also longevity within the within the organization that's kind of like balanced out but previously when i didn't have a seniority and i was just like super junior um it was like the one the one example was it was a very different uh experience because it was majority black people in the, in the in the organization and you know this and you're like you're giggling it was run by black people um one or two um white people peppered around uh in in the senior management team um and so it was it was kind of different there because as much as I was junior I was probably one of the most um visible people in the organization um and so my visibility also kind of protected me because I was representing the organization um in different high level platforms so one they had, the one they trusted me to be there um and two I could handle my own or or, or be okay in that space and so that kind of the respect was there to a certain degree and then um but the trust wasn't there I was about to say I don't want to ask this yeah, question because no. it's too personal because I'm like it's almost like they respected you in terms of delivering, delivering the work that they quite honestly couldn't deliver but then it was a thing of that was when you were outside and it was external facing right mm-hmm. but when we turn talk about the internal dynamics of your daily, daily experience at work as a black woman there in a junior position even though you're doing pretty Very, senior yeah. work Um can you speak to that? I think um the 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 idea of just of being junior itself is 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 unfortunate because as as a I know you like a couple of months into the role whatever um and the idea when you start work is to be trained up uh, and not to just be given tasks and for to run um and sometimes that's not given to black women we kind of like have to like hustle and train up ourselves And some people are very fortunate to have really good mentors within the organizations or even outside or really good managers who train them up and put them under wing whatever the, the idiom is. Um and so for going back to the point of trust is that there can be trust on delivering work and trust in um being able to um I don't know do the task that's been thing in time and good quality. But then the trust in terms of um your personhood Yeah, like if I don't show up the way that you expect me to show up when I'm lying. Um if today I'm not as as hyper as I was yesterday or Andile is angry or what's happening with Andile. Um I'm not allowed to have a different moods. I'm not allowed to be colorful. I have to always be this thing of this ideal or idea of a black woman at work that they've kind of made up in in, in their own in their own minds. And so once you kind of like move out of those kind of um parameters that they've drawn for you it's a bit it's a bit weird. So now I'm now I'm looked at now I'm um what's the word um monitored surveyed. and surveyed. Um or no um she's speaking to this person what could she possibly say? Um and so as much as the work was good they didn't trust the per- my my me in the interpersonal and that's where the the destruction actually happens. Mm-hmm. Um so when they don't trust your person, um doesn't mean your character and your yeah. character is coming kind of, is is under question. Um it kind of just ruins the whole experience. So even the work gets it's like ah if you don't trust the person why am I not sleeping to deliver this work for you? So no. Um and so that deteriorates and therefore you don't care anymore. And so why why stay? Um so I've had different and in my other role I was also junior but also 
given very big projects to kind of like lead um, that were across the country. Um, but, and the work was good. The work was great. And then one big thing happened that involved my colleague and we weren't given an opportunity to like even defend ourselves. She kind of like spun a story um, and we got into trouble and we ended up leaving the organization because um, even there, there was no trust in our, who we were. And so our word wasn't taken seriously. Um, the truth that we brought into the room wasn't taken up. Um, only her truth um, kind of was, was valid and that stood. Um, and yeah, we ended up unemployed <laughs> because of the story a white girl spun. And even still today, we don't know what the story was. Um, um, yeah. I'm not going to ask you to share that story. <laughs> but my next thing would be, can you tell me a specific story about an experience of yours as a black woman at work that stuck with you it can be good or bad and then as a follow-up how did it alter your behavior or your outlook or your self-perception um i think this the the thing of the well the job i was mentioning now i i always say this i don't like working <laughs> i don't enjoy it runs in the family <laughs> i don't want to do it um, I just have to do it, <laughs> but I've been fortunate um, to actually, when I do work, I think the work is very challenging and it's really, really interesting. And so I get into it. But if I chose to not do something, it would be work. I would choose not to work. But um, I think um, this particular story, it, it, it shifted how I saw just people, but it was like, how can on Wednesday, I'm literally the star child and I'm being like celebrated and then on Friday I'm the pariah um, without really giving without cause um, and so it just changed how I show up to work um, I now do my job and that's it <laughs> I don't care about the politics I don't care about fixing things now no now work is work it's my 9 to 5 my Monday to Thursday and that's that um, sometimes things that do happen that affect me personally, it's like, okay, fine, how, how do I navigate this? How do I deal with this? But when the managers are like, oh, we're going through this strategic, whatever, what are your thoughts? I have none. Uh, <laughs> um, we are dealing with this big thing with the network, unless it, it's directly involving my work and the people that I work closely with, um, I have no thoughts because I've done that. I've overextended myself for work. Just, yeah, just being in, in work. And that did not pay me. Um, and so I was like, actually, no. Um, I gave myself to this thing. And then overnight, um, I, I was disregarded. So why do it again? So now I literally do my work. Um, and that's how I've, I've changed from that particular story. And then I'm okay with it. And I'm actually happier with that. The reason why I wanted to do this podcast is because of a lot of conversations we had while you were away in November. Um, complaining <laughs> and at the same all the time guys <laughs> um, well that was because now you actually were in the same, same space as them and you don't you don't really see each other but at the same time I had another friend who what you just said now she went in one week on on Tuesday she was star, star. they were <laughs> they were literally talking about her in the office clapping their hands like wow you saved the day dog well done everyone she just did the most thank you so much and on friday she basically was told that she's incompetent and she couldn't the specific 
project she worked on was a waste of time and he could have done this in 30 minutes. <laughs> and she sat there, didn't really respond, ended the call, and then she wrote her resignation email. <laughs> I'm good for her. <laughs> Um, and so with all the different conversations I was having, I was like, oh, it's December, I'm, I'm not doing the podcast in January, I really want to have this conversation. Um, and, and because also what, you know, I haven't been able to really go back to work since my last job. I don't know if I ever will go back to a nine to five job, um, send money. Um, but because of, you know, my experiences there and it was my first corporate gig ever um, and just really being like wow. wow i've heard people talk about being black at work and like i've only been black at work with other black people mm-hmm. in a non-profit space which was you know toxic in its own way um but i've never been black at work in a company that big with that many departments with that many people in that department um and for me i'm not gonna I'm going to share one experience. I have... It's your podcast. 10 million. <laughs> <laughs> um, but you're the guest. Um, I'm going to share two experiences. One, not very personal. The other is... The personal one was my very first job. The job that we worked at together. Um, and or the place we worked at together. Um, and you weren't there yet. I was, I was also fairly new. Um, I think I'd been there like three or four months. And the CFO wanted had a meeting with this other white man i think he was a funder and we were obviously the plebs were outside um you know in the cubicles and he walked at his off walked up the office greeted this man they walked in or whatever and it was me black girl a white guy and a colored girl two colored girls sitting working um no three colored girls three colored girls one white guy and me, one black girl, um, doing our work. And he comes out and he says, oh my gosh, can someone please bring in some coffee for us? But he's looking at me, right? <laughs> and I kind of like look to my right, like to my left. And then I get up and I do it. And the whole time I'm doing it, you know, you're just like, what am I doing? What is happening? Like the whole time, I'm like, when's it going Like, Pante, why am I here? Like, what am I doing? And I make this coffee and I take it into this office and I put it down and I kind of stood and looked at them. And I think at, at that moment, it like clicked for him because like he couldn't look at me for like a week after. And for me, the thing is like you with this activist movement that's for the people we're progressive we're liberal we're grassroots we love black people right Mm -hmm. and you came out and made me a kitchen girl because i'm the black girl in the room i mean the white guy didn't move move. of course the colored girls we all kind of looked at each other but ultimately it was like babes he looked at you (laughs) so you know it kind of was asking you to do it and that's when i was just like I think I already was very much in my shell, but it made me disassociate from the black people for the entire duration of my work. I hung out with white people. um, And mostly, to be honest, I lived in the same area as 
the white people who work there. And so half of them, you know, I drove into work with and then we'd see each other on the weekend. So I both friendships. But um, it kind of also was a protection thing of like, let me kind of like help myself by sticking <laughs> to the safe side because white is right, you know? And white is safe. <laughs> um, and then the second story is this last job that I had. I was really excited. You know, I was excited. Um, and I kind of was not excited very quickly in about two weeks. Um, yeah, I'm not going to really go into it because I actually spoke about it in my conversation with Chi Chi. Um, but yeah, after that experience, I kind of became hyper aware of how other black, and that's my problem. I'm always wanting to be Captain Saver Black, like always want to be, it gets me nowhere, but I can't help myself. I'm just like out here trying to fight for all the black people because I'm Martin Luther King, right? And Corona <laughs> Scott, yo. <laughs> Holding Jonathan Mayer's down. <laughs> and so I kind of spent the whole duration of my time just ob- also, you know, I love watching people, just observing people, observing situations and dynamics. And I walked away, I think, after a month, being like, every single black person here in this, because it was separated, it was like all the IT people were on the one side of the. Of the campus, quite honestly. And then like all the operations people. So our team, which is marketing, finance, operations, HR was on the other side. And everyone who was on the operations side, all the black people were support staff. And it was just mind-blowing. And and then every black woman, no cap, every black woman, every colored woman in the business um, were support staff. Every Mm -hmm. single one of them were coordinator the role was something coordinator um and i was just like but why on earth would this person be a coordinator with a master's degree um it make make it make sense why is this an intern with an honors yeah and so that was just like it didn't actually shift my how you show up no it did mm-hmm. <laughs> i checked out completely but it didn't shift my self-perception um, or my behavior. I still kind of, I checked out in terms of like, I'm not, I've got no plans to be here longer than my contract. I've got no plans to work upwards here. I'm going to do my best because I, I believe in excellence. I'm going to show up and do the work for the duration of my contract. And I'm also going to be happy because I've met some really great people here. But I'm not going to, what you just said, I'm not going to give anything more than what I need to to this department mm-hmm. because it's yeah terrible um it didn't shift my self-perception but it definitely like was disheartening i walked away more like sad for the people who are still there mm-hmm. of like some of you have been there for four or five years and you're in the same role um and why what we watching other people progress quite quickly um and then you also get to the point now i'm talking too much but the thing of like oh, black people are too complacent or black people don't take work seriously. But if you've been in the position for five years, at some point you do actually just give up and then you just go to get your paycheck, you know? it's the same thing. Yeah. But if it doesn't change, what more can do? do? Especially if it's like operational work, nothing changes. You're going to bring in a new platform, a new system. And once you've mastered that in like two weeks, nothing changes. Uh, I do want to bring another story because when you're talking about the coffee, 
I was reminded uh, <laughs> we were at, um, I told you guys I'm old. So we were doing this project um, and we had to go through National Treasury to get kind of like they, they knowledge on this particular product that we were developing. Um, so we said to like these different heads, so each person in Treasury kind of oversees a province. Um, and so we were doing um, three provinces, no, rather, no, municipalities rather, sorry. And so in this meeting, we had the, the three heads of these metros from National Treasury. And we had the head of department in, in the room. And then we had myself um, and my two colleagues, um, both Afrikaans, Afrikaans man, Afrikaans woman. Um, so we're sitting now and we're going through this long document that we've developed. Um, and it's like, it's a, it's a, it's a tool. So you have to like, each question has to make sense, all the things will balance and there's a score at the end, basically measuring performance of um, municipal budgets, um, transparency, accountability, and I don't know, monitoring. And so like 180 questions and we're sitting there, it's like okay, eight in the morning until maybe five. And if we need to come back tomorrow, we'll have to come back tomorrow. So we're going through these questions and then have a break for, for lunch. And then later on, it's like after lunch slump, so people usually want to have coffee. So the urn was on um, outside of the room. <laughs> and so this head of our department, um, he, he's like, oh, um, I think it's time to maybe like stretch our legs, have a coffee, and we'll come back in like 20 minutes. Uh, but I'm not sure if the urn is, has, has, has boiled. And so he kind of was like, um, oh, and I'm going to need, it's like, oh, can someone go, literally the same thing as you. Can someone go and check um, for the urn? And he turns around and just happened that me and this lady were sitting next to each other. Um, and he looked at our corner. And I looked at him, I looked at her, and I basically said, I'm sorry. Because I don't work in National Treasury. <laughs> if you guys were in our offices at Game Time, maybe something in me was going to be like, ah, what's going on? Um, and I look at her and I. I turn my piece of paper and I have my highlighter on my, in my hand and she looks at me and she gets up and she goes and shakes in the urn and this was like a like a 45 year old woman professional woman who probably has all the finest things that you need to have just to be in that room and to work for treasury um, and this man um, just assumed that the two black women were the ones to get up and go check the urn when we were all in the room, um, when I had half developed the tool, uh, me and my and my and my colleague, uh, and so I was there as a professional and a semi-expert, and she's obviously an expert as well. She works in National Treasury. She's she's responsible for a municipality. And so it was like it was just disappointing. Like so, every single space, whether it's NGO, whether it's corporate, whether it's government, um, we were always That's seen fine. as a marketing girls, as the one who had to go check the urn, as one one to go see if the catering has been set up. Um, and it's just it's disheartening because we're all professionals here, and if you need someone to do that, hire someone to do that. And yeah. it's always like, oh no no, we'll, we'll we'll manage. And it's like, yeah, you, you don't manage because there's, there's definitely gonna be a woman in the room. And if it wasn't me and the and and, and this lady, oh, they would make my <laughs> my colleague who's fifty because she's a woman um, do it. Um, yeah. Wow. I guess I want to ask you then, because we're talking about these dynamics, is there anything you feel that black people do to put themselves in these situations? Or is it purely on the other races and the other genders that are classifying and, and oppressing, for lack of a better word? Is there anything you feel like we contribute to the microaggressions and the prejudices that we experience? Um, I don't... 
I think it's it's nuanced. Um, I think it goes back to I think one of the responses I gave earlier, the being disheartened and then just showing up um, just to do the work and not not adding anything else to the to the organization. And that guys that plays against you, you you literally minus marks. <laughs> um, when promotions and raises are discussed, all that stuff, how you laughed together, how you shared a drink together, how you went to this event together, that matters. Um, and so if you wanna play the game, um, and your your promotion and your and your raises are determined by white people or people of different race. Actually, it could be black people because I'm the Myanmar. Not all, not not all skin folk. Not all skin folk. Skin folk. Skin folk. <laughs> so just because they black doesn't mean they're gonna advocate for you um, for for those positions or promotions, whatever. But that interpersonal stuff is very important um, for promotions for races. Um, but I think. Going back to actually answer the question, yes and no. Yes, sometimes we we can we can become problematic, and I'm not saying booty um, like the standing up for for, for ourselves. Um, we can. Uh, I like I don't know how, I don't know how to put this properly. <laughs> like we can we can have the herd mentality, and the herd mentality will always not play in your favor, because now they'll see. And, and with that, we've seen this from primary school to high school. The moment there's more than three black people together, it's a problem. And so if you even in the working and move together as black people, they're just gonna, not going to trust you because they don't trust us anyway. Um, and I'm not saying be a salad or be the, the coconut or whatever, yeah. or be the, the, the clever black or the good black. Just being very careful how we are perceived, unfortunately. And it's a, it's a safety thing and it's a, it's a comfort thing. Um, because being at work fairly, you have to almost perform um, just to be there and be safe there. Um, and so when you do hang out with black people, it's like, ah, oh, I can actually be myself. Um, and the no is, at some point, you're going to be tired of always being the one to overextend yourself, of always being the one that has to fit in. Play a part, yeah. like you just said. Yeah. I come to work, I can't be myself, I, I have to put on. on. And like, I something. can't be tired. I can't be having a personal crisis. I can't. Um, I don't know how many white people cry at work. They just come and just cry at work. We we used to see them in high school. So in school, yeah. Like they just like, why don't you cry at, at home, home, dude? <laughs> like, and they do this even at work. Like they cry and they bring they everything at work. And why not they? Oh, you take take your time. Go go pick up your kids. Don't worry about it. We'll we'll cover for you. But a black person can be going through the exact same thing and will not be given the same grace. And so after a while, you'll be like, actually, why am I giving so much and still I'm not being promoted, still I'm not getting a raise, and still I'm not trusted. And so I'm not going to show up um, in the everything else. Mm -hmm. I'm just not doing my work. And maybe I'm becoming the, the bad black because now I'm at the point where I don't smile, I don't laugh, I don't chit-chat. Um, I don't joke. I laugh. It's funny, and I'll say something. And if it happens to be funny, it's funny. But I'm not. I'm not. Yeah, I'm not friendly. <laughs> and because I've realized that the friendliness back to it. Um, and no, and that's not my role to be friendly to you. Um, we're here to work, and we're not here to make friends. And if the work is done, the work is done. And I don't need friends at work. So you said, you've mentioned twice this idea of advocating. You spoke about it now about how even 
though you could be friendly with the other black people, they're not necessarily going to advocate for you. You spoke about your manager. former manager yeah. and how her advocating by actually giving you your voice and allowing you to utilize your voice um, was a form of her advocating for you and was able to build your your trust with the rest of your my colleagues. Cap- yeah, my capital, my work capital. Um, yeah. Who, I know it's, a, I mean, it's, I'm asking the question on purpose, but who is responsible for ensuring equity and equality at work on a micro level and a macro level? So people who set the culture. And so if you say that um, you you are progressive, you are, you, 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 you see that you see the strength in diversity and you welcome diversity and equity and inclusion and then set the culture let that be the way that that organization or that business or that, or that institution actually functions don't as long as it's an add-on because it's a nice to have as long as it's not um as long as it sits in the portfolio with a group of people um that's not changing the culture and and that's not building DEI into into the the fabric of, of the organization. So whoever sets the tone is their responsibility. And for me walking in to a place where I am an employee, I have I said nothing. I don't have the power to say anything. Um, and so it's on them. Hmm. Um, what do you feel about diversity and inclusion, about company culture, um, all that good stuff? What what's what's your take on it? Um, right now, it's a nice term to have. It's a nice thing to to say that you you inclusive, you diverse, um, and you are equitable. It's 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 a nice to have to say that you you don't see um, race and place of origin, uh, all these things that are that are used to be prejudiced against people or to discriminate against people. I think DI is very important. Um, only because, not only because, because it's the only way that people of color will actually be given a chance. Um, and how, how I've seen it play out in my own organization, where I work, is that the auntie names um, interviews for, for, for resumes. So when we have a post or an op- a job opportunity open, we, the people apply. But then obviously the one person will see the original resume and then they'll upload it to this platform but then they'll remove any identifier so that's they'll remove it that's race Name. that's age yeah that's um where you live gender, as well country. yeah so we are we are a global team so we work we from different parts of the world um but majority of the team is is eurocentric is euro-based anyway so they remove all identifiers and so it's solely based on your letter and and, and your resume. Um, and it's and I think I told you this once, um, how fun it's been since they started doing that, the people who actually make it to the interview round are majority black women. And before, the whole organization was white men because they were all friends, they all started these organizations together, they could pull each other in. Um, it was like, oh, I worked with her, finding we need to diversify a woman, um, a white woman, mm-hmm. which is Australian or German, whatever. 
and these white women will literally go have a coffee with the founder and they're like oh i love them okay give them a contract they can start in two weeks time and so there was never any formal kind of hiring process it was always like just friends um working together in this big international organization and then only like maybe four years ago when the new ed came on who happens to be a woman of color and she kind of like professionalized even the hiring system um and with that there was a, a white exodus in the organization basically she was left with four people out of 15 because the rest kind of quit <laughs> within six months of her taking over so it was a also an, an, an indicator of just mm. the, the way and the culture of this organization that now work in um but it's completely different completely different people work there and and so when if you're gonna say you're gonna you're gonna practice DEI, practice it properly. Remove every single identifier that could um, discriminate against someone. And because you said you said you said it before, um, where you worked, all these white people in positions. Uh, I know I'm saying the word white with so much disdain, but <laughs> all these white people in in high positions. If you remove their names and you remove their uh, proximity to whoever was hiring, they, they wouldn't don't be qualify. Able, they, they don't qualify. Um, and so if you're going to practice the AI, practice it properly um, and literally be blind to everything else. And so I don't see color, then don't see color. Um, remove it and see who actually builds the workforce. And I'm telling you now, there will be black women. One last question. Um, and it comes from this idea of what we would like to see, what you would like to see going forward from us and from these institutions. Um, what are, can you give like three, I know I'm putting you on the spot, but like two or three active ways that we can disrupt racism um, at work and ultimately work towards preventing racial misconduct if there's even such a thing, um, or just all treatment. I know, I know the woke kids are going to say, oh, we don't call out, we call in, um, but calling it out and if at some point, okay, I guess one is calling it out. Um, and I I know this is very, very privileged to be in a, in, a, in a situation where you can call out microaggressions or just aggressions. Um, and you can actually be like, okay, what you did there or what you said there, I did not like because it added me. Um, so calling it out, and I know that it's impossible for for majority of people. Because once you are seen as... A person who calls out, then you are aggressive and you are disrupting the culture, and you're, and, uh, angry. And, you're angry, and and now you are difficult to work with um, only because you said, actually, I'm not going to accept you treating me like this or speaking to me like this or doing this um, to me. Um, so if you can, call it out. Um, two, the, for the institutions, um, so for, for ourselves, calling it out for the institutions really really value DEI for what it is and if as long as it's a bandage it's not going to work but if you really do want to build places that are diverse equitable and inclusive you need to do the work and if it's uprooting the culture uprooting the way you you do hiring uprooting even who works in the spaces themselves um do it and it's it's easier said than done. Obviously, you're not gonna hire people, you're not gonna fire people because there's not too many blonde people in the in, in the room. But as as if you grow and as you grow, look at how how representative of the world is this organization. 
and no more so in South Africa, how representative of South Africa is this mm. workplace? There's no way that in South Africa every single black person is in an organization is supposed to Come on. There's no way that in South Africa every single senior manager is either Indian or white. Um, as if we are we are incapable in of being managers and being um, CEOs or being leaders. Um, so it's a matter of taking it seriously and implementing it. And and maybe if if you're gonna have a DI kind of whatever, make sure that at least it's in embedded in in, in each department and doesn't sit by itself in the corner and is an afterthought of okay DI DI or written on the walls or written on, on the walls whatever. And thirdly, do I have a third one? Maybe not. You don't have a third one. And that's pretty fine. <laughs> It's exhausting. It's exhausting, and I've always said, "I don't, I don't want to do the work, and I'll never do the work, of, of, of educating white people how to treat black people." They know, but I think, as I've kind of alluded to, we've are quite immersed in a white. Our world is fairly whitewashed, um, and so we've had to have a couple of these very tough conversations with close friends, with colleagues, um, with partners, and. Yeah, sometimes they've ended in tears. Sometimes it's been a learning experience. But I think we've also got into a place of like, yo, I've paid my dues of trying to educate you guys. Um, especially, like you said, because surely we can't be the only black people that you know. Um, and surely you have introspection and you observe things and you can tell the difference between just what's right and what's wrong. Um, and so, yeah, thank you so much, Andrea, for finally coming onto the podcast and for being so honest um, and transparent. I hope you guys enjoyed this and you took something away. I learned a lot. Um, yeah, drop us a comment or send us a voice note if you have any thoughts. And we will see you next time on the Empathy Podcast. Cheerio. Bye.